Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Today's reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts with honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning thankful for life, thankful for another day to live, to glorify you and enjoy you. And God, as we gather together as your people and we look to you, we behold you, we exalt you, we ask that God, you would speak to us through your word, that it would change us, that it would stir our hearts with affections towards you, that it would convict of sin, that it would um, encourage weary souls, that it would challenge those that might be comfortable or complacent. But ultimately, God, we ask that you would do a work through the proclamation of your word. Help me get out of the way and help you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the book of Mark. We are starting our series in Mark uh, this morning. Now, just an FYI, we are keeping the sermon a little shorter this morning because we're gonna have a special time at the end of the service where we're bringing everyone uh, uh, back in and we're gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit of teaching on church membership and then we are gonna install our first covenant members here at Franklin City Church. So this is an exciting morning and uh, we are glad that you are with us. So as you are turning to the book of Mark, I want you guys to think about news. I want you to think about the news. And even just saying the news probably invokes some sort of emotion in your heart, right? And I want you to think about how we live in a time in the world that has been unlike any other time, where we have access to endless amounts of information, and we have access to news that is happening all over the world. It's all right now at our fingertips. And there is so much news that is swirling around out there, right? I mean, you've got 
You've got the world news. You've got our local news. You've got political news. You've got financial news. You've got sports news. And then you have this whole new category of news called fake news, right? You have fake news. You have sort of fake news. You have that seems like fake news, but we're not really sure. Uh, and then you just have like bad news. You've got news that is satire or kind of comedy, right? Uh, and then you've got all different kinds of sources for your news. You have got the cable news, TV channels that you could go to. You've got your local news, TV stations that you can look at. You've got your friend from high school you haven't seen in 10 years that shares articles with you on social media, right? So you've got that. That's one of your sources of your news is on Facebook or social media. And then some of you, some of you are old school, and I respect this. Uh, you get your news by these things, um, I believe they, they call them newspapers. Newspapers. You guys remember these things, right? Newspapers. They, someone delivers them to your house. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. After you're done reading them, you've got kind of that ink on your fingers, so you know if you forget if you've read the news, you say, oh, look at your fingers, oh yeah, I've read the news. Uh, and then after you're done using the newspaper, they're very useful, you can use them to kind of pack breakable things into boxes, right? If you run out of wrapping paper at Christmas time, they come in handy, you can wrap things. If your uh, pet has an accident in the house, you can use the newspaper to kind of clean up and cover up, right? Okay. So newspapers, all that to say, all that to say, I think just by observing our news industry, I think it is safe to say that humanity longs for news. We do. We long for news, whether it's good, bad, fake, real, depressing, or sad. Like, we like it, we love it, we want some more of it, right? I mean, we just love news. If someone came up to you and was like, hey, I've got bad news, and then they're like, oh, never mind, I can't tell you about it. You're like, wait a minute, no. If it's news, I want it. I don't care if it's bad, real, fake, whatever. If it's news, give it to me, right? We long for news. We long for news. But then how do we usually feel after we hear, read, or watch the news? How do you feel afterwards? I don't know about you, but usually I feel sad, depressed, anxious, upset, confused, frustrated, right, when I hear or watch the news. But church, there is a news that your soul has been longing to hear. There is a news that satisfies, and there is a news that encourages, and there is a news that is faithful and true. And so we are entering into a study of a book of the Bible that is titled, The Gospel According to Mark. The Gospel According to Mark. Now, gospel can be most simply defined as Good news. Good news. This is the good news according to Mark, right? And I love William Tyndale's explanation of this word gospel, all right? William Tyndale said, what we call the gospel is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy, don't you just love that? Like, what we call the gospel is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. You see, this is the good news. This is what we have been waiting for, longing for, and looking for. And so Mark, in this book, he is going to proclaim this news to us and show us that this good, merry, glad, joyful news has been revealed to us through the person and work of Jesus. 
But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's intro the book a little bit so we have a little better understanding in the next few months ahead. And yes, I said months. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, uh, but we are only getting through one verse this morning, so everyone just take a deep breath and settle in, all right? We're going to be here for a little while, okay? All right, so Mark, let's start with the basics. Mark is part of the New Testament, and it is one of the four books that gives an account of Jesus' time on earth. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, These four books have been called the Gospels. Uh, Now, Mark is the shortest of the four, but to clarify, that is not the only reason I picked Mark to preach through, okay? I'm not going to say it wasn't one of the reasons, but it is not the only reason that we are looking at Mark. Uh, but Mark was written, we know all scripture ultimately written by the power of the Holy Spirit, but Mark was written through a man named John Mark. John Mark, okay? John Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he was writing this in Rome with Peter by his side, and so he was scribing for Peter, all right, you guys remember Peter? We just preached through 1 Peter. Peter and Mark were in Rome together, and Mark is writing this through the reports and the eyewitness accounts of Peter. And so it's going to be interesting. You'll notice as you read through Mark, which I would encourage you guys to all start reading through Mark. It's only 16 chapters. You can get through the whole book really in about an hour or so of reading. And so be rereading the book of Mark. But you'll notice as you start reading that the stories that include Peter are going to be especially descriptive and detailed because Peter is the one reporting these uh, to John Mark uh, to write. Now, John Mark was also, he was cousins with Barnabas, if you guys are familiar with Barnabas, uh, and John Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, uh, but he turned back before the end of it. This kind of rubbed Paul the wrong way. That caused the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, uh, but the good news is they all worked it out eventually. Uh, we see later in the New Testament that Paul and John Mark are, are cool. They work stuff out, okay? Um, and you're going to notice as we read through Mark on, uh, as you read through Mark on your own, as we preach through it on Sunday morning, and as hopefully you wrestle with it in your city groups, you're going to notice that this is a fast-paced, hard-hitting account of Jesus's life. Like this is giving us the highlights, and it might seem at times it is jumping from event to event. Uh, it's giving us the highlight, highlights of Jesus's time here on earth. And so you see, we felt that as our church lays a foundation and gets established that it would be so important to go through one of the gospel accounts uh, with all of you and really see who Jesus is and what he is all about. Uh, Because I don't know if you guys realize this or not, uh, but you are all now church planters, okay? I don't know if you realize that, but you being here at a church plant, congratulations, you are now church planters. And if church planters, then you need to understand who Jesus truly is, and you need to understand what he was all about. And so we're going to go through the book of Mark together so we can all get on the same page as church planters and know who this Jesus truly is and what he is all about. And I believe that as we see Jesus for who he truly is, as we see Jesus for who truly is, it will produce in our hearts a desire to follow him. And many people, they try in their own strength to follow Jesus' teachings or follow out of duty, but true followers of Jesus follow out of delight. They follow out of delight because they have seen and encountered Jesus for themselves. 
And so we're going to see in Mark that Christians are not just a people that all just agree on a same kind of certain code of conduct. We're not just a group of people that gathers together around a certain set of values. But Christians are, in fact, a people that are rallying around a specific person. And his name is Jesus. He is God, and he has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Spirit. And he came to earth to save us and to show us what God is like, and now to call us to follow him. True Christians are not just the people that like to go to church and sing songs, okay? True Christians are followers of Jesus. We rally around Jesus. So let's, let's look now um, at Mark 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Well, like any good book or any good story, we start with the beginning, right? And this start should remind you of other beginnings that we see in the scripture. So like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. And John 1-1, in the beginning was the word. And the beginning, how John Mark starts this, the beginning should be grabbing your attention, letting you know that something new and exciting is about to happen. Mark is announcing to us and his original readers that something of great importance was about to begin. And verse 1 is really almost like a heading or a title for the book that Mark is about to write. So he's announcing that the good news, this good news that we have been longing for since sin entered the world is here. He's announcing that the snake crusher we've been longing for since Adam and Eve fell in the garden has arrived, and this salvation that the prophets and the scriptures prophesied about, this good, great, glad, merry news has been revealed to us through Jesus, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. Now remember, the original New Testament was written in Greek, okay? Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God is salvation. Or more simply put, God saves. God saves. So even when you hear the name Jesus, you should be reminded that God saves. God is salvation. And then there's going to be this question that we're all going to be confronted with as we read Mark. And there's going to be this question that we're going to see people in Mark are confronted with. And it's going to be this question, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just another philosopher? Was he just another rabbi? Or is he something even greater? And Mark is going to tell us here in verse 1 that he is the Christ and he is the Son of God. Both of which now, the rest of the book, he's not just going to tell us this, but he's going to show us how he is the Christ and he's going to prove to us how he is the Son of God. So let's first talk about the word Christ. All right, And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people, and myself included, sometimes have falsely thought that Christ is just Jesus' last name. All right, And if that is you, that is okay. Like that, that, I've thought that a lot of times in the Bible it says Jesus Christ, so that is a natural conclusion. You would just assume that Christ is Jesus' last name. But it is not his last name. Uh, if, if you thought that, that is okay. You're, 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 you're 
A lot of us have, all right? Christ is not his last name. It is actually a title. Christ is a title. So just like Jesus is the Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means God saves, right? Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew, name, Hebrew word Messiah, all right? Christ and Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, the anointed one. And you see, the Jewish people, they were longing for and looking for the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had spoken of that would come and rescue God's people. The Old Testament prophesied that a Messiah would come, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born to a virgin, that he would be a prophet, a priest, and a king, that he would be in the line of David, that he would sit on the throne and rule forever. And so they were waiting, they were looking for this Messiah. And Mark's saying, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah we've been looking for and longing for. But you see, when Jesus came, when Jesus came, the Jewish people, God's people, they were under Roman rule and oppression. And so they were looking for a Messiah to come and rescue them from the Romans. They were looking for someone to come uh, uh, free them from the Roman oppression. But God had a different and better plan in mind, as he often does. Because you see, unlike us, God is outside of time. And in that moment, to God's people, it might have seemed like the Romans were their biggest enemy. But God, in his wisdom, knew that his people's ultimate enemies were Satan, sin, and death. Now, can you guys relate to this a little bit? Because I think sometimes when we are in the moment, when we are, we are stuck in, in time and we have this hardship or this obstacle or this enemy that is in our life, it can seem like, like that is our ultimate enemy. Like, God, if you would just remove this thing, if you would just conquer this enemy, if you would just get rid of it for me, then I would be good. But God, many times in his wisdom, is like, I see this. I see this enemy that is oppressing you. I see this hardship in your life. But you actually need me to take out this, this, and this, and my grace is sufficient to deal with this. Right? And so, yeah, the Romans might have seemed bad to God's people, but God knew he needed to ultimately defeat Satan's sin and death. And somehow in the great wisdom and knowledge of God, even allowed, allowed Roman oppression, even allowed an unjust uh, 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 court trial, even allowed an unjust crucifixion of himself by Roman oppressors, he somehow weaved his plan through that, worked through that to accomplish something greater. And so he allowed this enemy and this oppression and this hardship for a season in his people's lives, but he was ultimately working through it to defeat their ultimate enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And so Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. But he didn't come to overthrow necessarily all of our lesser enemies, but he came to overthrow our ultimate enemies. And so you're going to see as he works, uh, as we're going to read about in the book of Mark, we're going to see that he starts casting out demons and silencing them. We're going to see that he starts forgiving sins. We're going to see him heal disease and raise people from the dead. And it's going to ultimately culminate with him dying on a cross. And then three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And so Mark is proclaiming 
that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But he didn't come initially like we would have expected a conquering warrior king to come. But instead, he came as a suffering servant. And we're going to see that Jesus then, through the book of Mark, even starts telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to have to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to suffer and die. He predicts these things to happen, but it was hard in that moment for them to understand. And so Jesus, the true Messiah, he looked differently than what people were waiting for or expecting. But even the fact that he was going to suffer and die shouldn't surprise us too much because Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would suffer, that the Messiah would be a suffering servant. And so in Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus came and suffered, Isaiah wrote speaking of this coming Messiah. So here are these words from Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The righteous one will make many to be counted righteous. And so Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, did not come initially like we would have expected him to come. But he came as a suffering servant. Well, why is this good news? Our passage starts out the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good, glad, merry, great news of the Messiah Well, here is some of the good news that I want to share with you this morning. If Jesus is the Christ, if Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the Christ, then that means that you and I are not. That's good news. That is good news. You see, this is where Christianity is a complete 180 from every other religion, okay? Every other religion says you must work for your salvation, 
Every other religion says you must make yourself good enough. You must be faithful enough. You must pray this so every so often. You must clean yourself up enough before you come to God. Every other religion says, yes, you can be forgiven, but you have to deserve to be forgiven. And the Bible says that God himself came to earth, and he did not give us a strategy for self-salvation. No, he says, I am your salvation. I am your salvation. I am your rescuer. I am your redeemer, your Christ, your Messiah. We don't have to work for our salvation. He is our salvation. He bore our sins. He was pierced for our transgressions, and he has made intercession for us so that the many could be counted righteous. Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. You and I are not. Praise God. Praise God. And you have to get this first. You have to get that first before you start reading through the book of Mark, okay? Before you start looking at Jesus' teachings and parables and things that he is calling us to do. Because if you don't first recognize that God is salvation, if you don't first recognize that God is salvation, then you will be tempted to start just rallying around his teachings and his commands. And so maybe even some of you this morning, you know, even reading, looking at Mark, hearing me talk, you're reading through Mark, you're thinking, okay, Mark, come on, just get to the good stuff. Get to what I'm supposed to do. Get, give me a list of do's and don'ts so I know what to do and I know not what to do, and just, just let's, get to, let's get to some action steps here, right? But we're going to see in Mark that being a disciple and being a Christian is not just rallying around certain teachings or certain values. It is ultimately rallying around a person named Jesus, who is the Christ, who is God, who is our salvation. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, Son of God is one of Mark's favorite titles for Jesus. We've seen he's already given him the title of Christ or Messiah, but now he gives Jesus the title, the Son of God, which in doing this, Mark is telling us that Jesus is God, okay? That he has pre-existed before he arrived here on earth and that he has this unity and affectionate bond with God the Father that can only be had by another equal member of the Trinity, right? For we know that we have one God that exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three know, love, and glorify one another. And they are the same in substance and they are equal in power and glory. But Mark, calling Jesus the Son of God, it is a big deal. It is a big deal because it is recognizing him as God. And he's going to now show us through the rest of Mark, he's going to prove to us that Jesus is God, right? He's going to prove it to us. He's going to show us that Jesus is God and has authority over all things. He's going to show us how Jesus has authority over demons and how Jesus has authority over disease and how Jesus has authority over death and how Jesus can calm the wind and the waves and he can multiply bread and fish and how all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He's going to show us that through the book of Mark. And isn't God so good? Isn't God so good that knowing our finite condition, knowing our inability to really grasp 
the goodness and the greatness of God, he doesn't just tell us about God, he shows us. He shows us. And through Jesus' time on earth, humanity was able to see what God is like. Humanity was able to see what God is like. Just hear these words from Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. God, who at times can seem difficult to comprehend, difficult to grasp, came to earth to reveal himself to us. Jesus showed us the glory of God. And Mark is going to now show us some stories about Jesus, some miracles he performed, some parables that he taught. And then Mark is going to reach its climax in Mark 15, when Jesus is on the cross. And it's going to be a Roman centurion who sees Jesus on the cross and who sees him for who he truly is, who sees the radiance of the glory of God and who sees the image of the invisible God. He's going to see Jesus on the cross. He's going to see the earth tremble and the sky grow black. And the book is going to climax in Mark 15, 39. A Roman centurion is going to say, truly, this man was the son of God. Well, church, in conclusion, remember, we're keeping the sermon short. I'm going to preach a second sermon here in a little bit, so you're not off the hook totally, okay? In conclusion to this part, the good news that we've been longing for is here. The good news we've been longing for is here. The soul-satisfying news that makes our hearts glad and merry and joyful and sing and dance and leap for joy is here. God himself is our salvation. The one who upholds the universe came to earth to be a suffering servant. And in this way, he has rescued us. He has rescued us. This is great news. This is great news. And I am excited to journey through Mark with you over the next few months. And my prayer is that as we see Jesus for who he truly is, that we will follow hard after him. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. God, this is good news. This is good news. And Lord, we thank you that you are our salvation. We thank you that you save, you rescue, that you are our Christ. God, help that take root in our hearts. Help this news really settle in. And God, I ask that it would make our hearts glad, merry, and joyful, that we would sing, dance, and leap for joy, that you are our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.